Hey, I'm Chris. And I'm Katie. And we travel the country to take photographs of Americana at night. Up till now, we've tried to describe our experiences through blogs, but this time we want to try something new. So get comfortable, settle in, and listen to the story of a beautiful old theater tucked in the heart of a broken city. So Chris, you've been photographing urban settings all over the country for over a decade, right? Yeah, mostly at night. Um, I kind of started here in Milwaukee, and Gary was probably the first urban setting I photographed outside of Milwaukee. You didn't really start to understand maybe the culture and maybe the challenges of the people who lived in those types of cities until you started giving that photography a little more context? Yeah, in the past, you know, it's kind of get to the place, try to get in, um, and then set up your composition, try to make some really cool art in the dark, um, which is a challenge in itself. Um, But as I've grown along in my photography knowledge and career, I've decided to put a little more context to it and actually research it instead of just leaving in wonder. Sometimes I'll come home and fill in the blanks. But uh, how about you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I have to admit, you know, when I first started going along with you, especially when we first went to Gary, I had my own preconceived notions. um, And I'd even say fears a little bit. But it wasn't until recently when we visited East St. Louis to photograph the Majestic Theater um, that I I actually made an effort to learn about the city's history. Um, And I I have to say, it really opened up my eyes. Yeah, I think it goes without saying. um, That's for most typical people. East St. Louis is synonymous with the likes of, you know, Detroit, Gary, and even, you know, our hometown of Milwaukee. Um, Their reputations pretty much precede themselves there. I mean, we dramatize and kind of scare ourselves because of the the urban legend factor, which is sadly kind of ignorant. I mean, it's not all bad. You know, on a good day, a lot of proud and you might even say brave people call places like East St. Louis home. Of course, it's equally important, I think, to remember that on a, a bad day, a lot of sad and hopeless people call East St. Louis home, too. I mean, either way, I think we just have to tell ourselves that cities like East St. Louis shouldn't be gawked at like a circus freak behind the safe confines of our car. You know, real real people live there. Yeah, and doing a latest uh, census report, it looks, um, and talking with our escort, which we'll get into later in the story, um, the population of East St. Louis is dwindling, um, and it's currently at 27,000. And of those 27,000, 97% um, are of African-American descent. Um, and, you know, that's a very lopsided percentage, um, even compared to other Rust Belt cities that are currently turning the corner and some not turning the corner. Detroit, for example, Gary and such. And it's interesting you bring this up because, you know, I find it pretty tough to talk about cities like Gary, Detroit, and East St. Louis without mentioning how race played a role in, I guess, their evolution over the years. Like I said, you know, after we visited the Majestic when we both started to read up about the city's history. And there are some really dark days. Um, This riot of 1917, for example, is just this horrifying stretch of violence and death that really tore the city apart. Um, And and an event that, I mean, they just must have glossed over it in history class because I don't remember learning anything about it, especially when I learned 
that it was this precursor to an even larger scale and series of race riots in Chicago a couple years later. Right. And to fill you in at home, they're a very short story of the East St. Louis riots. And forgive the brevity, goes as follows. Thanks in part to World War One, East St. Louis, with its boom of railroad yards and packing plants, quickly grew into one of the great Rust Belt Midwestern cities. An influx of African Americans contributed to this growth. But in 1917, white unionized workers were striking for shorter hours and higher wages. In order to keep business running, white workers were replaced with non-union black workers. Some say that businessmen traveled to the South to find and bring up replacement labor. But as others note that the city had already boasted a large African-American population at that point, residents that were not interested in joining unions, residents who were often rejected from the not yet integrated military, residents that were ready to work, and work they did, which unfortunately sent the white workers into mm, what we can only describe as hysterics. Apparently, some opinions that came out of the riots They tried to calm people down by saying that these devastating events were based on economic labor issues alone, that the fear of dwindling job security would have happened, you know, if any scabs took those jobs. But if you read this absolutely sickening reports of what white people did to anyone with dark skin, even women and children who had nothing to do with labor, these labor issues, I mean, there's no way that that powder keg was filled with the labor issues alone. In any case, I mean, we're not going to go into the pretty frighteningly gory details here today, but you can actually read the reports in old 1917 New York Times online. Um, Just prepare yourself because it's pretty awful. Um, And I can honestly say that it's kind of what makes what's happening today recently in our country Um, pale in comparison. And if you're wondering what could possibly diffuse such intense racial hostility, oddly enough, the Great Depression played a a really important role. African-American communities actually benefited when the Depression weakened the stronghold of political figures and businessmen had on segregation. White people started to sympathize and even form interracial coalitions, especially when they figured out it would help them overcome the devastating economic conditions of that very time. Right, and then with post-World War II prosperity, especially within the blue-collar worker communities of that Rust Belt area, I'm sure it seemed like the really tough days were finally over. Um, Looking at East St. Louis in particular, their population actually reached its peak in 1950 at over 82,000 people, and that's compared to the 27,000 that you mentioned earlier. Yeah, much like the neighboring uh, cities, Chicago, Kansas City, and St. Louis, uh, the music and art scene was also busting with this new population growth. Um, Did you know Miles Davis came out of East St. Louis? I did not. He spent most of his formulative years between 1927, he was two, Uh, until 1944, when he was 17 and graduated high school. Uh, Finding inspiration in not only his gospel church that he visited often with his parents, but surely the surroundings of East St. Louis. The rest is history. He moved to New York in 44, and he he did this uh, little album called Kinda Blue. I think you may have heard it. I don't know if you've heard of that album, but uh, it's still very much revered and selling a lot. It's a personal favorite of ours on the turntable. I also found fascinating that East St. Louis received an All-American City Award from the National Civil League in 1959. The National Civil League recognizes communities for outstanding civil accomplishments. I would say at this point, East St. Louis history, the award truly represented a city that was worlds away from those dark ages of 1917. But sadly, even in 59, the city was already on the brink 
of another imminent collapse. Right. And I mean, we all know how that story ends. Um, traveling to these cities um, like Detroit and Gary and East St. Louis, we really, I mean, you see it growing like weeds all over these burned out homes in these old neighborhoods. Um, we see it rotting the insides of these once proud stockyards and steel mills and manufacturing plants. I mean, if they haven't been raised already, of course. I mean, in the late 50s, to early 60s, East St. Louis really was one of the first to suffer that deindustrialization, um, suburbanism and white flight, urban crisis, political incapacity, corruption. It was this multitude of complex and intertwined challenges that crippled the city and, you know, cities all across the Midwest. And worse yet, the collapse continued to send almost like tidal waves of misery washing over these their already weakened cities decade after decade. Some of them are bouncing back. I mean, Detroit's definitely doing so, but to this day, East St. Louis, um, it's, it's struggling. It's pretty hard. I've got to please y'all. I've got to please y'all. Garbage cans laying all over the street. Brother shooting brother. When the pain's broken, torn up cars on the side. An interesting fact I found while perusing the Wild Web detailing information about the 1981 classic from John Carpenter's Escape from New York. He was seeking a decayed or semi-destroyed version of New York, couldn't afford to film in New York, and sent his location manager on, and I quote, an all-expense-paid trip across the country looking for the worst city in America. He came back with East St. Louis, with block after block after block of burned out buildings from a fire prior in 1976, it fit the bill perfectly for what Carpenter wanted as a seedy New York. In addition, and another odd fact about the same filming, Carpenter bought the Chain of Rocks Bridge for $1 from the local government to avoid liability, but once he was done, he sold it back to him for the same said $1. And that's the, the Chain of Rocks Bridge, that's uh, Route 66, right? Yeah, it's the bridge you took from Illinois into Missouri. Now, there is a small glimmer of hope that resides in the middle of downtown East St. Louis. On September 17, 2014, the city was given a new badge of honor. The downtown corridor was officially placed on the National Register of Historic Places. Not only does this mean that people truly do care about the future of the city, but from an economic standpoint, it opens up the door of opportunity for developers to get tax credits if they rehabilitate within the area along Collinsville Avenue. Oh, in Collinsville Avenue, that's where the Majestic Theater is. Um, and a little backstory on the theater itself, this this gorgeous gem, it's nearly 90 years old, um, and it's kind of a Middle Eastern meets Asian kind of facade. The architectural style is called Neo-Moorish. It's kind of an exotic revival of the decorative Islamic architecture that inspired the North African Moors. Um, the theater is a true representation of kind of this opulent age of the Roaring Twenties in which East St. Louis once relished. It was designed by the renowned Bowler Brothers, and it opened in 1928. Um, it had a Wurlitzer organ and over 1,700 seats. Uh, Majestic originally designed as a vaudeville theater, but quickly they converted it to show movies, um, and the first in southern Illinois to move beyond the silent era and show talkies. Uh, unfortunately, that run did not last long. Um, as you mentioned, with the collapse of the city's economy, white people moved to the suburbs, and downtown East St. Louis quickly fell prey to crime and foreclosure. Just 32 years after it opened, and only one year after East St. Louis earned the coveted All-American City Award, 
the Majestic Theater closed its doors in 1960. And even with a few renovations here and there and earning a spot on the National Register of Historic Places in 1985, she sits decayed, yet beautiful, and stoically on the once-bustling Collinsville Avenue. Amongst urban archaeological enthusiasts, due to this lavish exterior um, in the face of almost, I guess, what you would call surrounding tragedy, the Majestic is quite a popular piece of architecture to photograph. Yeah, and it's even gained the uh, reputation as the garden theater because of its trees that are growing out of the facade of this beautiful old theater. Not many have been able to venture inside the theater in the daylight hours. It's pretty boarded up. Um, and then, of course, at night, aside from you know shelter-seeking homeless who are able to get in or graffiti artists looking to tag, the Majestic really isn't a place a visitor would typically venture into after dark until now, of course. Yeah, that's where we come in. Uh, last May, Katie and I showed our night photography at the Belleville Art Fair, a quaint suburban town just outside of East St. Louis. A couple walked into our booth, um, noticed our photography was, you know, based on Americana that was abandoned that uh, we photograph at night. Um, they went on to introduce themselves after a little bit more small chatter as David and Joy. Um, and they asked if we had anything from East St. Louis. And I replied, I wish I did. Um, they told us a little bit more about their connections to the city of East St. Louis, and we exchanged some information. Now, an interaction like this is nothing new, right? Uh, right. In the four and five years of history of showing our artwork at art festivals, a few people have given us some inside information and places to go to. Um, some things pan out, some things don't. It just it, I never really hold too much weight on it. But lo and behold, a few months later, I was incredibly surprised to see an email from David telling me he had mentioned us in a community meeting. Yeah, the next thing I knew, we were pretty much in the car heading to East St. Louis to meet up with David and Joy. I mean, we met them, but essentially they're strangers in a matter of speaking, and we're going to go to this abandoned theater with them at night um, in East St. Louis. So we headed down there. We met them at their house. They live just outside of the city. Uh, we grabbed dinner. We got reacquainted. You know, we were having a really good time. Finally, time to pack up. Um, jumped in the car and headed for the theater. And you could just feel kind of the anxiety and nerves were just at like max levels. They told us that we would have a police escort um, who would have a key. So, I mean, in the history of doing this, Chris, we've never had a police <laughs> escort before, have we? We've definitely never had a police escort, and we certainly never had a key. <laughs> we parked outside the police station, and we got buzzed in. We paced around this little waiting room um, while we were there. A mom and her, her kid walked in for, you know, who knows what reason, but it was obviously something really serious. We eventually met the officer assigned to us. Um, we followed him over to the Majestic. Uh, it turned out he didn't have a key of any kind. So we kind of took turns trying to find our way into this theater. And in between the trading off, um, looking around, uh, each of us stood around and chatted with the police officer. He told us a little bit about himself and kind of his history with the city and some backstory about East St. Louis as a whole. Even as an African-American gentleman himself, he made this like profound admission that uh, the lack of diversity is what's killing the city. As Katie said, our initial entry was thwarted due to this lack of key. Um, we all kind of felt time was ticking and the night wasn't getting any less warm or muggy or young. So we had come up with a new plan. Uh, we told the officer we'd be back in a half hour or so to implement this said plan. And we, we eventually got back with a key of sorts and we found our officer. 
Uh, meanwhile, the, the formerly quiet Collinsville Avenue had turned into the Saturday night club crowd. And as we opened up the front door of the theater, local residents were just, they were driving by painfully slow, watching our very white group of people, you know, chatting with a police officer. And suddenly I kind of felt like we were the circus freaks. At this time, it was about midnight uh, when we finally acquired our entry inside the theater. Um, And then we uh, entered through the lobby. The muggy heat doubled in intensity, but now with dust as thick as a blanket. Uh, Murky dust. I don't know if you could put that into words. Uh, We carefully walked through the lobby with only dim flashlights as our guide. Uh, No time to explore around like we usually do. At at this time, we had a, a police officer patiently awaiting outside. We entered the main room of the theater at this point, and with a few pops of my strobe light, we saw that it was majestic as its namesake. Chris started to set up his lights. I took to looking for places to hide behind um, with my colored strobe lights. How could we successfully light a place this cavernous? The fun part was that I was trying to dodge these holes in the ground, maybe six inches or so in diameter, definitely wide enough to catch your foot and twist your ankle if you weren't paying attention. And those holes in the ground were for air conditioning and heat that was pumped through the floor. Um, And this theater was the first air-conditioned movie theater in Illinois. So I pretty much had to hope for the best as I ran around the perimeter of this lower level. Um, I tried to find the grand staircase. There's a couple of them that go on either side. And I had to feel my way up these broken concrete steps to the balcony in order to light up this alcove. Um, All the while, I was ducking these bats that were just swirling around and dive-bombing us. And, you know, after all that fall, I was adjusting the composition and the lighting. And maybe on our third attempt at a good photo, we heard a disembodied voice coming from the lobby that we had just entered prior. Uh, We yelled out the officer's name, hoping that, I hope that's him. (laughs) And uh, sure enough, it was. Um, So he then parked next to Joy and David and talked during this ringside uh, circus spectacle of strobe lights exploding towards the ceiling like fireworks, and they were probably all like, what the... You know, at, at this time, nobody had, you know, probably had ever done anything like this, and they certainly were never bare witness to it. Um, all the while, while that's happening, you know, Katie's, you know, dancing with the bats circling around the theater in the upper balcony. Um, and every time the lights went off, we got a kind of a peek into the past, caught very short glimpses of its former beauty, that encased every square inch of this ornate structure. Um, After about an hour or so, we decided to call it the hot stale air and the clouds of plaster dust all started to choke us out. And it kind of gives you a headache at this point. You know, you have no oxygen or fresh air, so. Yeah, and I I mean, we got a, I think we got a pretty good photo that represented sort of the tableau we wanted to show the rest of the world. Yes, this is a collapsing shell of her former self. Seats were stripped from the floor. There was graffiti tags coating the walls. And all this rubble piled across every square inch of the surface. It really did seem like Queen, whose crown had been stripped decades ago, um, but she stands steadfast amongst this rubble. She refuses to let go, you know, perhaps like the rest of East St. Louis. She clings to one tiny shred of hope that things are going to change one day. And at that point, the five of us just kind of returned to the lobby like we just saw a movie. Uh, We climbed out the front door and locked it back up. Kind of ironic act for people that do this kind of thing. Uh, we humbly thank the police officer for his accompaniment on our little adventure, and the gawking continued, and uh, we headed back to the east suburbs um, high with adrenaline. Once we drove away feeling unscathed from the abandoned theater, it could have been pretty easy to leave it all behind, but our escapade felt 
like it was spread thin across this almost like an ocean depth of history and reputation of East St. Louis. So it just felt too surreal to just set it aside. I had to ask myself, will the Majestic be condemned for demolition? Will she take back her throne? Are the people of East St. Louis doomed to this unrelenting tragedy or are they going to find a better life one day? The good news is that no matter how hopeless the world feels, people continue to push forward. For example, 10 East St. Louis nonprofits that currently work together in an initiative called East Side Thrives, with the help of the United Way of Greater St. Louis, were just awarded an 18-month 500 grand GSK impact grant to support children and teens in the area. Healthier living and stronger education could solidify a much-needed foundation, the first step to improve life in the community, or one can hope. Something else I recently found, a woman by the name of Charmaine Savage. She just retired as an officer in the U.S. Navy. She found inspiration in the negativity. I guess she watched a trailer for a documentary comparing East St. Louis to Fallujah. It upset her so much that she decided that something had to be done to reactivate the pride in her hometown. So she returned to East St. Louis. She reconnected with an old friend. I, th- I think she met at um, a high school reunion. Um, and this friend of hers lives in Georgia, and she publishes a magazine to celebrate the positiv- positivity in Clayton County, which is a you know a really tough area, just like East St. Louis outside of Atlanta. After shadowing this friend of hers, she returned to East St. Louis. She laid the groundwork to publish her own bi-monthly magazine called I Am East St. Louis, or I Am E-S-T-L, to promote uh, pride in her city. She and her husband even renovated this 20,000-square-foot building for the magazine's office. Um, It has apartments, and I think it's going to have a coffee shop one day. Um, And if this wasn't all impressive enough, she is a survivor of several reoccurrences of breast cancer. So clearly, Charmaine has already shown us that a strong, vibrant, inspirational life can be lived no matter what cards you've been dealt. Uh, She said something in an interview that really, really hit me. In Charmaine's words... We are not those images that come up when you Google East St. Louis. We are more than that. To look beyond this dark history, the collapse, the fear, the circus sideshow, if you will, it's tough. It's really, it's pretty tough. And in spite of all that, people continue to persevere. I do want to mention the music you've heard throughout this podcast, uh, minus the Miles Davis song, is straight out of the heart of East St. Louis from the 1960s. As East St. Louis began to feel the walls cave in, the South End Neighborhood Opportunity Center formed to help struggling children and teens in the area. Alan Mary, a transplant from Tennessee, earned a spot as the activities director there. Not just to keep the kids busy, but combing through the tough streets to scout for new participants. With a rich history of music and an affinity for teaching, Eventually, Alan began giving lessons to the kids, his authority so powerful that the kids from all over began to trickle into the center for lessons. The best banded together and called themselves the Young Disciples.
end of the 60s, the Young Disciples had exploded in popularity and talent to become kind of a true Midwest show band. They featured a range of musicians and singers, complete with a record label and songs that ranged from love songs to hopeless despair. Uh, Though they disbanded long ago, the Young Disciples alumni remain in touch and recognize the crucial role Alan and the rest of the organization played in their young lives. The music was re-released to the public by Numero Group um, on the Eccentric Soul series. The collection can be purchased, this East St. Louis collection, on vinyl, CD, MP3. You just got to go to numerogroup.com. And to see photos of the Majestic Theater, both old and new, and ours, along with the links to various sources mentioned in this podcast, please visit FadingNostalgia.com slash Tales, T-A-L-E-S. And as a side note, it's really tough to find photos or even personal accounts of this theater in its heyday, so please don't hesitate to share your stories with us just in the comments of our blog, or you can even email us at ontheroad at FadingNostalgia.com. And a shout out to our new friends, David and Joy. Thanks so much for your near Southern hospitality and the amazing breakfast the following morning after all of this adventure. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, And next time, we'll bring the key. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And remember, be kind to one another. For everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle.